The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey there, listeners, new and older. Wonderful to have you all with us today. I'm Victoria Moran. I'm the host of this program that I am so fortunate to um, be able to do with you live every Wednesday afternoon and whenever and wherever you want to listen via the miracle of podcasting the rest of the time. So welcome everyone, wherever you are and whenever you're listening. An announcement, in case you have been waiting with bated breath and haven't otherwise gotten the news, I won. Yep, I am the female PETA's sexiest vegan over 50. Yay! So, it's pretty fun. I hope it helps me do better and save more animals. The male winner is Joel Kahn, MD, cardiologist out there in Detroit. He's got a fabulous restaurant and writes for Mind Body Green and the Reader's Digest, has a new PBS special. So, congratulations to Dr. Kahn and to all the finalists and all the entrants. You know, it takes a little bit of grit. to enter a contest with a name like that. But everybody that did it is just so delightful. And I think I'm now connected on Facebook to most of the finalists. So that's really cool. Wonderful to have your your friendship. And my most sincere thanks to everybody who voted and for the very kind things that you said. It means a lot. So after our break today, we are going to be talking about vegan fitness for mortals with none other than the very fit Ellen Jaffe Jones. And right now, we are going to be talking about movies, one of my favorite topics, get your popcorn, because my first guest is Eric Day, the documentarian of Vegan Everyday Stories, a feature-length documentary that explores the lives of four remarkably different people who share a common thread. They're all vegan. The movie traces the personal journeys of an ultra-marathoner who overcame addiction to compete in 100-mile races. Should we play trivia here? You want to guess who that is? A cattle rancher's wife who creates the first cattle ranch-termed farm animal sanctuary in Texas. Well, anywhere, but hers is in Texas. A food truck owner cooking up knee-buckling plant-based foods. And an eight-year-old girl who convinces her family of six to go vegan. Well, you know her because as a result of my watching this film, we had that 
lovely little girl, Genesis Butler, right here on this very podcast about a month ago. You can find that in the archives. And you can also see Genesis and all of her wonderful glory and inspiration in this wonderful film, Vegan Everyday Stories. Welcome, Eric Day. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's wonderful to have you. So what was the inspiration? Have you done films before, or did this idea just crawl into your ear and not go anywhere? Uh, this film, um, I've never done a, a documentary before, or really any film project before, for that matter. And the idea came out of um, just wanting to do something new, a, a new form of activism, at least for us. Um, and my wife and I have been involved in a, a nonprofit called Northwest Veg, and still are, uh, based out of Portland, Oregon, and we do the Portland Veg Fest and a number of other events up in that area. And uh, we decided, you know, we've been doing this a while, but maybe let's try something new, something new and exciting that might be challenging for us, um, but also hopefully put something great out there in the world and, you know, to, to spread the message. And we came up with an idea of making a documentary. At first, we didn't know what it would be about, um, you know, since there are so many great documentaries out there already, such as Forks Over Knives and Cowspiracy and Vegucated and Speciesism, you know, covering various angles. And we thought, what would be something new? And we realized that there wasn't a documentary out there that really showed um, the in-depth uh, life of people who have been vegan for a while. You know, there were sort of the health reasons, the environmental reasons, but there wasn't a really a storytelling um, of people who had been been vegan for a while and, and why they came to it and what how they live their lives today. And we decided to create a website, and we accepted um, stories from all over the world, and we had over seven hundred people write in. And wow! Yeah, we we were overwhelmed with the response, and we had to narrow it down quite a bit, of course, to to squeeze. The, the small number we could into a film and that's how it all began. Well, that's absolutely stunning. I had no idea. I thought you just sat down and said, Hmm, who are four interesting people? We'll call them. So that's really something. And, and I'm sure very inspiring to read 700 stories. Yeah, so, it was. <laughs> so tell us about everybody. We, we know Genesis. We'll get to her later if there's time, but tell us about the other three. Yeah, so the one of the things that we wanted to do with the film is try to capture as much diversity as we could within the movement, um, you know, both in lifestyle um, and, the you know, the environments that people live in. So obviously you met Genesis already, and you, you sort of know her story. Uh, the next one was Yassine Deban. He is a ultramarathon runner. And he has competed in races all over the world um, and just an amazing, uh, amazing athlete. And he also had another side to his story that was really compelling to us. And that is, you know, early on in his life, he had battled addiction and went through a lot of trauma, both uh, especially emotionally in his life. And he was able to sort of overcome that and in the process of, of healing and, and becoming um, you know, process of battling those addictions. He found uh, being sober, for example, and also veganism was a way that he felt he could live a more peaceful and, and spiritual life. Um, so that was a sort of a, as he described in the film, it filled the void, uh, you know, filling it with love both for himself and for other beings. Well, that's interesting. And I put in that trivia question because I'm sure that when everybody heard ultra marathon or who had overcome addiction, that we're talking about Rich Roll. But you found somebody else with a similar story. But, you know, even when stories are similar, they're very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was very it was an honor and, you know, very interesting to learn about the process that he went through. And, uh, and hopefully everyone can check it out and, and see his, his story. Uh, the next one that we also featured was Renee King Sonnen and her husband, Tommy. And they uh, were a cattle ranch based out of Texas. And eventually she just couldn't take it anymore living on this ranch. And she would, every six months when they would take the, the cows away to slaughter, 
all the mothers that had birthed the cows that were taken away, they would basically just cry all through the night for sometimes weeks at a time. And she would go out there and basically cry with them, you know, and she, she just couldn't take it anymore. It was just heartbreaking for her. And she gave him an ultimatum of, you know, we're going to do something different and stop selling these cows or, you know, we have to find another way to move on. And, you know, through a very dramatic process, I think you could say, eventually they came around and started a farm animal sanctuary, which is, you know, the first one in Texas that at least converted from a cattle ranch. And uh, we get to spend five days down there learning about their story and filming it to tell. And it was a very different way of life. Um, that being in South Central Texas, there where you know we were basically eating peanut butter and uh, bread for a week, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of a lot of good vegan food options down that way for sure. But a lot of good vegans, and we had her on yes. the show as well back in uh, early June of 2015. If anybody wants to uh, check that out, and a documentary subject number four. Yes, uh, our final feature story, anyways, was Jerry Hasty, and she is the owner and chef of a food truck based out of Santa Rosa, California. And we wanted to, of course, get a, you know, there's a lot of food in the film, um, but we wanted one of our feature stories to also have, you know, this example of this amazing vegan food that you can eat, so it's not... You know, as someone in the documentary says, we're not just eating salads and carrots. It's, you know, real food and it's and it's good food. And just getting to follow her around and seeing the different events that she got to um, got to, uh, you know, serve food at and also, you know, learning about her backstory and why she decided to to start a vegan food truck in the first place. You know, she was inspired by her her daughter. But even before then, she had these seeds, um, you know, growing up and raising her own animals for food, as she mentions in one of the stories in the film. It's really interesting how the four people that you chose, to me, represent four very prominent aspects of, of veganism. So you've got family with Genesis, raising children, very important. People want to know about that. Then animals, of course, with Renee. You've got sport, and then you've got food. And so I realize there are other aspects. There's fashion, there's the environment, but you've really covered the the big bases there with why people do this and who who people are. So it's a fascinating, beautiful, beautiful film. I highly recommend it. So tell me, what did you learn? You've been vegan a long time, very active for a long time. What do you know now that you didn't know before you picked up your camera? I think one of the the biggest surprises coming out of this film, um, at least for me, was the the natural instinct that kids have to not want to eat animals. Um, you know, it's something that I thought about a little bit here and there, but I didn't put that much effort into it, but it, it just kept coming up again and again, you know, obviously with Genesis, um, when we talked to, uh, Moby, he, he mentioned it quite a bit. Um, and a few other people, you know, who we interviewed, they kept saying, you know, like, Oh, my, my kid, as soon as they find out that a chicken was an actual chicken and not just something that had the same name, they, they didn't want anything to do with it. And it's amazing how, how, I don't know, successfully, I guess you could say, how this natural compassion that I think we're all born with and we all have as children, we're just taught to either ignore it or just that it, it's not a, that certain animals are not worthy of that compassion anymore. And um, it it's both sad, but it's also kind of exciting because maybe that's a, an untapped opportunity that activists may have to, to reach, um, you know, kids or or parents or families and try to um, educate them on some of the realities before they are able to you know lose this compassion as they get older and you just gave me a really interesting question to ask someone who who wants to argue you know sometimes we run into people 
like that. And I don't like to argue with people because I figure if they want to argue, they're not really interested or they're not really ready, and I'll move on to somebody who is. But I think a really good question would be to say, do you remember the day that you found out that meat was an animal? And I'll bet most of them do. Fascinating. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> yes, it's it's something I think it's important that everyone asks themselves. Yeah. You know, and to really think about what feelings that they possibly had to suppress to, to get over it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I sure remember mine. It was going to a restaurant and ordering fish, but instead of being filet or whatever I was used to, it was a whole fish, and I put the fork in, and this eyeball pops out. And I was absolutely horrified, and then was just trying to piece everything together and tell myself, well, cows are for milk, and then dogs and cats are for pets, and, and, and chickens are for eggs, and horses are to ride. You know, this very utilitarian, you know, seven-year-old <laughs> idea about things. And then I got to, and pigs are for... And then I just, I just blanked. It's like, I can't even, can't even go there. But obviously, <laughs> at some point later, I did. So you are doing something somewhat revolutionary in the world of business and art and everything else. You're giving this film away for free online. Why did you decide to do it that way? Uh, we... We started this all as a nonprofit project, um, as I mentioned, the, the nonprofit up there based out of Portland, and we successfully did some crowdfunding to to pay for the movie up front. Um, and at that point, you know, we had this 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 documentary, and we thought, well, what's the most impact we can have? How can we get the most eyeballs eyeballs on it? And how can we lower that barrier to entry for people to watch it? We thought, well, if it's free, I mean, that's about as easy as you can get because you can just go to the website, veganmovie.org, and it's right there, and you can watch it. And we're also trying to get into other platforms. Um, some are paid just out of necessity, but, you know, to, to try to get it, it out there as wide as possible. Um, but, yeah, we, we wanted to create an outreach tool. You know, we, don't, we didn't want to make a, a moneymaker necessarily, although it's nice to still get donations to help promote the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we thought if people enjoy it, they'll make a donation. Um, and, you know, if people don't want to donate, that's fine, too. But at least it's it's a level playing field. Everyone can see it, you know, as long as you have an Internet connection. Wow, that's fabulous. So the website is veganmovie.org. Um, Eric and this wonderful film are on Facebook and Twitter at Vegan Movie. We'll put all that stuff on the MainStreetVegan.net show notes. Eric, thank you so very much. And Hope to see you one of these days in Portland. Yes, great. Thank you so much for having me Take on. Take care. Thank you. you. Everybody else, stay with us. You know what we're going to do? Even though we are mortal, we are going to get immortally fit right after this. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. There is quiet 
Reverend Paulette's mantra is, It's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. A couple of announcements. I believe we mentioned last week, and I'm going to mention again, coming up. On October 2nd, which is Sunday, that is Gandhi's birthday, there is going to be the annual Fast Against Slaughter, sponsored by Farm Sanctuary. So you can just Google Fast Against Slaughter 2016, and that'll take you to the Facebook page. And basically all it is is you say, yeah, I'm going to do it, and then you spend that day fasting. And people have said to me, does it have to be only water? Can I drink juice? Do whatever you think of as fasting. I'm sure the animals don't care what you eat as long as you're not eating animals. But with this idea that on this one day you're going to stand in solidarity with them, particularly in that on average 12-hour journey they have at the end of their lives with no food or water. So do check that out, and uh, I will be participating in that. And the more people I know are doing it, the more support we'll all have. I'm going to do a blog post called Tips for a Successful Fast. I'm going to put that up on Saturday so that uh, you can go over to MainStreetVegan.net slash blog and get some ideas for making your fast all comfortable and even a little bit fun. Uh, and right now, over on the Main Street Vegan blog, you can read something from figure competitor Darlene Adam Music. And her uh, blog post is called Six Shopping Tips to Make Your Life Easier. Don't we all want an easier life? Let's do that. Well, you know, another way that we can have a better life is to just get fit. And those of you who listen a lot know that... Uh, That's a hard one for me. I had somebody write, I think it was after last week's show, and said, I don't get it. I listen to your show, and you act like you never exercise, but you look pretty good. What's up? It's not that I never exercise. I exercise pretty regularly, but I have not yet learned to love it. It is not natural to me. It is like, okay, do this. So when I received a copy of Ellen Jaffe Jones's Vegan Fitness for Mortals, I knew it would be great because I love all her books. You love all her books. This is Ellen Jaffe Jones, Eat Vegan on $4 a Day, Kitchen Divided, Vegan Dishes for Semi-Vegan Households, Paleo Vegan. These are fabulous books. So I thought, okay, this book will be really good, but it will not be for mortals because Ellen is not a mortal, in my opinion, when it comes to sport. This woman is a sprinter who's placed first in Florida in virtually every length race they can come up with. She's placed seventh in her age group in the entire United States in the 1500 meters. And I'm sorry, you're a nice person, but not mortal. And you know what? 
Then I read the book. And I just had to eat those words because this really is vegan fitness for mortals. That means for you, for me, for your brother-in-law who doesn't get off the couch, even if he's not vegan, this is the book, Vegan Fitness for Mortals. Eat your veggies, be active, avoid injury, and get healthy for life. So welcoming two-time Emmy-winning TV investigative reporter and all-round fabulous vegan Ellen Jaffe Jones. Hey there. Hey, Victoria. Oh, wow. Um, thank you so much for all that. Thank you. And you know, what I did say is you are also a PETA Sexiest Vegan Over 50. You won that title in, was it 2014? Yes. Yes. And so I guess the two of us just can't show up in the same room together now because it'll be too hot. Well, maybe a, a joint <laughs> book offer. I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it's a wonderful book. And I have to say that I saved up a little money and uh, have got myself a trainer once a week because I find if I'm paying that money once a week, then I'm going to go on the other days. And I started with him the very day that your book arrived. So I think there's some magic going on in there. So why this book? Well, you know, I'm all about uh, busting veganness. And I, as I started running, well, first of all, I, I hated running. I should say that. Um, I just was never enthusiastic about it. And I took a long hiatus from it while I had children. And then when I moved to Florida, I had all this time. And so I started running just kind of to to keep in shape and because it was a great thing to to do as far as keeping the weight off. And, um, you know, I just found that it was really uh, fun. And in my age group, there weren't a lot of people. And what I've observed is that a vegan diet keeps you injury-free. It keeps the inflammation down. And a lot of women who beat me 10 years ago have totally dropped out because they're meat eaters and they've gotten arthritis. Wow. Fascinating. So tell us about your background. I know there's a family history that caused you to change your diet and get into sport. Tell us a little bit of your story. Well, uh, people ask me how long I've been vegan or how long I've been researching this. And it was really when I was five when my aunt died in our home of breast cancer. And that was a very traumatic experience. My mom uh, and both sisters would go on to get breast cancer, and uh, I almost died of a colon blockage at the age of 28, the same year that my sister got breast cancer for the second time. So that was a real uh, awakening. Doctor said, you better do things differently or you're going to end up like everybody else in your family. So I was just grabbing for straws, trying to figure out the truth about food. As a television reporter, that's what I was looking at. And um, I started reading the early writings of Dennis Burkett, who was writing about about fiber and the, and the diets in Africa and how there's no incidence of cancer there. And then Dr. Neil Barnard, who's still president of uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, his early books and Dr. John McDougall. And all of this just really started to ring true for me. And um, I just incorporated running at the time or any kind of exercise. I've been a gym rat since I was 18, but like you, I hated it. And it wasn't until I started running with other people that it was really uh, a lot more fun. So this is so interesting to me because I was reading those books too back then. But I want to know, did you read the other stuff? Because I think a lot of people, maybe even more now, there's so much information out there. You could go to a library or a bookstore or, or cruise Amazon and end up with a vegan book and a paleo book and a something else. So how did how did the plant-based thing rise to the top so that you knew it was for you? Well, certainly I was getting more energy. I was not getting sick. I wasn't having the sinus drainage that I always had. Um, and so I could breathe better. And, you know, like breathing is really important for aerobic exercise. And um, But the main thing that really inspired me to, to make a passion uh, or do my passion and write about exercise is because when I would win my age group, and I've now won 105 5K races in my age group um, since 2006, just on plants, but, you know, I'd be wearing my bright yellow Eat Vegan on $4 a day shirt um, at a race, and people would come up to me as I'm holding my age group award saying, you can't run on a vegan diet, and I'm going like, absolutely, hello, let's have a conversation. 
That's amazing. It's like what I'm seeing before my eyes is not nearly as true as what I believe. So in the book, you tell us some of your background, and then you get into some really interesting ideas. First, you just talk about general exercise. And I have to say, I read like all the time. I think one of the reasons I've never been crazy about exercise is that until we had audiobooks, you couldn't read an exercise at the same time, and I'm always going to pick reading. But there are only three exercise books that I have read in my entire life that I consider really life-changing. One is absolutely ancient. It's called Fit or Fat. You probably remember that one, Covert Bailey from the 70s. And then um, a few years ago, uh, Younger Next Year, which was originally there was a men's book and then a women's book, totally unvegan, kind of leaning unvegan, but good on the exercise part. And your new book. I mean, it is totally... It works. It's got me excited. It's got me understanding. When I was first reading it in the subway and somebody asked if I wanted to sit down and I said, absolutely not, because I just read this book and she says I should stand up and I'm going to do it. And he says, suit yourself. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So you talk about why we need to do this in a way that is very convincing. So for our listeners today, why do we need to do it and how much do we need to do? Well, the answer, I guess we'll go in reverse order, is move as much as you can. Do as much as you can. Look at every opportunity to climb stairs, to walk to your car, make an extra trip. I mean, those are the initial ways to get off the couch and just make exercise a priority in your life, even when you don't think you're doing anything. But but really, uh, you know, my, my father, he, he ate healthier in the, the at the end of his life, and he really attributes... His, or he attributed his longevity toward walking five flights of stairs every day, and he never took the elevator. So to the extent you can do things like that, it's just so important. And if you combine it with a vegan diet, as I like to say, it's magical. You know, I read a lot of the earlier books to Jim Fix, who wrote like the first book of running and then keeled over mm-hmm. while he was running, died of a heart attack because he had clogged arteries. So, you know, these, these seeds were planted at such an early age, and, and we really have to connect these dots. So many of my mainstream running friends think just because they run, they They've got this insurance policy, and they don't if they're eating uh, an animal-based, high-fat diet. I love that. And I also love that you are an ethical vegan as well, and you give the uh, British Vegan Society definition of vegan, which I'm just going to read here from page 21 of your fabulous book, Vegan Fitness for Mortals, that according to the Vegan Society, Veganism is a way of living that seeks to exclude as far as possible and practical all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, and any other purpose. And I love that in a book that's really about health and fitness and that, that you just laid it out that this is not your mom's diet. (laughs) This is something else. So where do you come down on all that? You know, I really felt it was important to include the animal connection here because if you don't, in this day and age, especially with the generation that's grown up on YouTube, it's like you're just not connecting the dots. And I think for us to feel good about our bodies and feel good totally in our hearts and our minds about what we're doing, we have to be in a position where we're not paying anyone else to do what we ourselves are not prepared to do. And when you watch some of these videos, in particular about the way animals are slaughtered or treated before they're slaughtered, it it just becomes impossible to stick your head in the sand and pretend that you don't see. So to have a clear conscience uh, as you go about um, your exercise routine, I think, is part of the equation, too. And I just I couldn't pass up that opportunity to draw that connection because I think we have to if we're going to save this planet and and save our physical bodies as well. Right. So one of the things you talk about are foods that promote recovery and reduce inflammation. That's pretty thrilling to anybody that has has been injured whenever they've tried to work out. So what are some of these foods? Well, you know, of course, there are a number of uh, herbs uh, like um, 
turmeric and and spices that can just uh, they're used in other cultures for reducing inflammation and almost as commonly as we use salt and so they're even put in supplements now for athletes uh, turmeric and garlic and and ginger um, specifically and beets and you know just different foods that um, have been known to be associated with a reduction in inflammation not only going in to an athletic event, but especially in the recovery. And I know that friends that I've done half marathons with, you know, we're just kind of tooling around after running 13.1 miles and no inflammation or soreness to speak of the next day. There's something called delayed onset muscle soreness that usually sets in anywhere from two to three days after an intense aerobic event like a marathon. And vegans generally just don't feel this or they don't feel it to the way that that the meat eaters do who are hobbling around, you know, barely able to climb a, a, a flight of stairs. So that's something I've been on panels now with a number of other vegan athletes, and we are all having that experience. Oh, what a wonderful experience to have, to know about, and to share with the rest of us. So when we get into the actual fitness part of your book, it's very interesting how you have this laid out. You talk first about walking, running, biking, swimming, weight training, and yoga. So start us out. Start for the person who is truly sedentary. What are we going to do for him? Well, the first thing I would advise is just establish some kind of walking routine and make it an important part of your daily schedule. Uh, don't feel like you know you don't you don't have to achieve any great records and do it quickly, but just set aside 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, whatever you can start with to get yourself off the couch. And if you can get outside, because there are plenty of studies that show we just have more endorphins when we're work, when we're outside, and especially when we're exercising outside. But if you are limited to a gym, it's not the worst thing in the world. And certainly, as the weather gets yucky, it's way better than not doing anything at all. So just finding a, a way you can do it yourself. If you can partner up with somebody, uh, I am big a big fan of running clubs. They are in every city in this country, big and small, and they often have people who just walk. Um, everybody is at a different level, and we're meant to run in packs, just like animals. Oh. And we do that. It's so fun. Wow, that does sound fun. What a, what a cool concept. So I have a question about walking that nobody has ever answered for me in a way that I have really understood it and found it satisfactory. So here's the deal. I know that we're supposed to get to this aerobic training range to have the fitness benefits that we're looking for from the cardiovascular exercise, whether that's walking, biking, jogging, all that. However, many, many of us have a thing on our wrists that tells us how many steps we get every day. And we're all trying to get 10,000 steps. But those 10,000 steps could be taken in a very leisurely fashion. What's worth what? Are you better off if you're short on time to go out for 20, 30 minutes and sweat or to get 10,000 steps over the day? Please don't say both, but you probably will. Yeah, no, um, I have a real strong bias in this area because I did both of those kinds of things um, where I started out walking and worked myself up to an hour. However, um, I run because you get, and most runners do, because you get more bang for your your investment of energy and time. And that's really the bottom line, is that you burn twice as many calories in 30 minutes of running as you do in 30 minutes of walking. That is just a fact, a hard, sweaty fact. And and I just think it's more fun. When you reach that, I won't say runner's high, but you do reach a feeling of euphoria and where the endorphins kick in and i just don't see that happening so much with walking not that it's unpleasant and i don't want to discourage people from going out and and starting to walk but if you can incorporate and i have programs in the book on how to do this just you know increase that ratio of running to walking um or if you're in a gym just stepping it up uh yes you know increasing your heart rate to the point where you are sweating
sweating. And I have, I love my Garmin. It has an activity monitor as well as a GPS in it, and I can't imagine life without it. But I got to say that it's, um, I know I burn more calories when I run, and I just feel better without looking even at the technology. So, mm. yeah. So how about biking and swimming? Those are the next two aerobic options you give us and should we be trying to do several of these things i mean obviously you're a runner you love that and i basically do bar classes and aerial yoga i don't know if that's enough i just know that's what i do and then i do weights twice a week how do you figure it I think, you know, you're your best judge of your own body. You know what your body has gone through over the years when you haven't exercised. And if it's fun and you enjoy it and it's helping you stay at an optimal weight that's best for you, then you just keep doing what you're doing. And don't worry about the next guy. I mean, we're always trying to figure out and and, in a way be competitive, even in yoga class, you know, am I as bendy, stretchy as the next person? It's so true. <laughs> you know, just check your ego at the door when it comes to yoga because if you try and keep up with your neighbor, you may end up actually injuring yourself and you don't want to do that. But that said, I'm a big fan of cross training. So, yes, incorporating biking and swimming if you can do it, great. I just did my first triathlon and it was a hoot. Um, you know, and to be able to do all three things in one day, and I actually got third in my age group that day on Ooh. my first triathlon, which was just crazy. But. You know, I mean, that's all about being in shape from running because that is where I excel. So the other sports just kind of, other activities just kind of came along for the ride, I think. But but they all complement each other. So the more you bike, the faster a runner you're going to be or the better in shape you're going to be for running. So you definitely want to try and mix it up and do stretching either in the form of yoga on an off day. I'm a big fan. I've read, I've read tons and tons of mainstream books, especially the Jeff Galloway books, which talk about the run-walk method, and that's really how most of us start anyway. But to the extent that you can take a day off, it's good for your body to rest and recover or just work different muscles so you don't have overuse injuries. And so many people want to do too much too soon, and that's another piece of advice is just slow it down, um, work at it gradually, and really, really listen to your body. Mm. So as a runner, how much weight training do you do, and do you like it? Um. So at different times, like when I've been a coach for the local high school girls cross country and track, I did more total body and core workouts. I did that with the head coach and as well as the kids, and that was great fun. But, you know, that was working out every day, and I just don't have that kind of time anymore, especially since I travel. I, I can't do that commitment. So going to the gym, you know, I do a spin class, um, and I do weight training at least once a week or twice a week if I can. And if I can't get to a gym, I just do. I have some standard exercises that are up on YouTube where basically you're just using your body. So you're doing front planks, side planks, um, you know, some yoga poses like uh, warrior one, warrior two, those kinds of things that will work your quads um, and some a lot of core exercises too. Mm. So tell us your day, Ellen. You're a writer, you're a speaker, you're a coach, you're a runner, and yet you have 24 hours like everybody else. How do you fit it all in? Well, I think the the funniest story that I tell about running was when I first moved to Florida, uh, my house was about a block away from the from Tampa Bay itself, and I woke up one morning and heard a gunshot. And I thought somebody's either been shot or that was a five k race starting. And <laughs> fortunately, it was the latter. And I walk over there, kind of you know, with my uh, shorts and t shirt on, stumbling around at dawn. And I, I find this woman who I'm still friends with to this day. And I said to her, "How do people run in Florida in the summertime?" And she says, "Get up at sunrise." And so that is what I do. And I try and always get in uh, 30 to 60 minutes running either on the beach. Uh, That's my preference. Or if I can't, um, you know, I get to a health club that's nearby and uh, just do my thing there. But I always start the day out doing it because it gives me energy for the rest of the day. And if I don't do it, I will not be as sharp and present for the other activities that are important to me. Do you know any serious athletes who work out later in the day? Because I know for me, if it doesn't happen in the early morning, it's not going to happen. But how is it for somebody who's like really dedicated? 
Well, you know, some people say, you know, they, they ask that question, when's the best time to work out? And I always say, whenever you can. And if that's the only time you can work out, great. Do I know any serious athletes? Not off the top of my head. But again, for those of us who travel, I know we do it when, whenever we can do it. And sometimes that might be at the end of the day. Although, you know, on the road traveling on book tour, you're pretty tired. Uh, so, you know, that I, I, I give myself permission to not work out every day and understand that as long as I keep my weight and my muscles in check, and I know when I'm, you know, we all have different phases where we're um, more in shape than than not, and so mm-hmm. just have to be patient with yourself and, and find a way to do it. But, yeah, you know, in my earlier life when I was a television reporter, the only time I could run was at night in the dark outside. Well, that's dedication. So tell us, how do you feel? I, I know that, uh, well, you won Peter's Sexiest Vegan over 50 two years ago. I'm not going to tell anybody your actual chronological age, because I think if, if it does not matter to anybody on the planet what the chronological age is, it really shouldn't matter to you because you're like a kid. But tell us about your health. How do you feel? How do you feel compared to pre-vegan and pre-super runner? Well, there's no comparison. I mean, I was a teenage slug. Um, I had all kinds of health issues, you know, very sluggish uh, from a lack of fiber, and that's why I almost died of a colon blockage. And then when I wasn't sticking with the program, because I worked at Smith Barney for five years and had no control over what was served to me, and that's generally the way it went down, is um, moved to Florida and almost had to have a hysterectomy from hemorrhaging fibroids and my OB said, go back on that vegan diet and call me in the morning. And within three weeks, all signs of menopause were gone. Um, and I, I felt fabulous. And, and so that's really why I picked up running again in a very big way and decided to do it competitively because I really wanted to show people how great you can feel. And, yes, you can do all this stuff. Um, it's not about winning the races. It's about showing people that vegans get enough protein, we get enough energy, we get plenty of calcium, and don't have the osteoporosis that our dairy-guzzling counterparts do. Yeah. So tell us also, Ellen, what's it like, because I know a lot of people like to know about this, to be a professional vegan? I mean, you do health and vegan full-time. It's your whole life. It seems so aspirational and glamorous. (laughs) Well, I do enjoy it. And and what I enjoy is not the paycheck. What I enjoy is seeing um, a client lose uh, 120 pounds in eight months um, that needed to lose that weight and uh, beat her cancer that she had. You know, there's no finer paycheck than having someone improve their health. And I know you see this too, Victoria. It's just, um, it's so rewarding. And um, to see people change their lives. I participated recently in this Plant Pure Summit that was an online program of about 60 of us that were asked to be interviewed for an hour. And um, it, it was really an incredible thing to see the comments of people as they participated and got to hear all of these speakers who are often on the Veg Fest circuit. And to have access to that was was an incredible benefit for them. And there was such gratitude and appreciation. I think they said something like fifty or 60,000 people got to watch this online um, presentation. So, you know, to the extent that many of us are out there doing this, we really don't do it for the money. It's about helping other people. And, and as a financial consultant, you know, I was always asking my clients, how much money is enough money? to be happy. And that's ultimately what we have to ask. And of course, since I eat beans and rice and greens on $4 a day, I don't need a whole <laughs> lot of money. That's great. Yeah, I had somebody on Twitter not long ago say, say something like, you know, you, you elitist vegan. And I said, no, you know, basic food is pretty cheap, especially if you don't get everything organic. And then she wrote back and said, you probably don't even know what a food desert is. I said, yeah, you know, I know what one is, and I know it's up to all of us to make sure that we have fewer and fewer of them until nobody knows what one is. But, yeah, it's a very strange myth that uh, it has to be expensive to be vegan. So as the vegan on $4 a day lady, as the expert on paleo vegan, 
What do people ask you the most? Is there one question, maybe besides where do you get your protein, that people want to know the most from you? Well, I've actually had people come up to me when they look at my shirt, which says eat vegan on $4 a day. If they don't say something about, oh, you can't run on a vegan diet, they'll just come right up to me and stare at my chest and go, how? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how? So basically... Yeah, the answer is beans, grains, and greens. Shop the perimeter of the store. Look high and low because the manufacturers are paying for the expensive foods to be at eye level. Don't buy things in a box or a package if you can avoid it. And, yes, cook from scratch. And people go, ew, I don't have time to cook from scratch. And I go, ew, you don't have time for diabetes, heart disease, and cancer because those are real time wasters. I've grown up in a family that had nothing but that, and we spent our lives in hospitals and with diabetes doctors and it's no fun so that's that's one of the reasons i'm on such a tear i know what it looks like um from an early age through old age when you have to uh suffer from these diseases of affluence and it's just um so wrong and so unnecessary wow Wow. well Well, now tell us about paleo vegan yeah paleo vegan i wrote because in the running community where I was spending a lot of my time running with the running club in particular, I was starting to hear people go, uh, you know, I'm going paleo. And I'm going, what's that? So I forced myself to read the meat-based paleo books. And they were kind of like Atkins and the South Beach diet and the Zone diet all over again. And I thought, you know, this is just like they've been repackaged and redone. And I need to write a vegan interpretation of the paleo diet. So I did a lot of research. I didn't just, you know, come up with this in my head. I talked to paleontologists and many of them would say things like, yeah, we had, uh, we were way more vegan or plant-based in paleolithic times. It wasn't like we could uh, catch a wild boar running through our backyard three times and eat it successfully and not get sick and die. And sure enough, the cover of uh, National Geographic a few years ago had a cover story that was called The Real Paleo Diet, and it pretty much quoted out of my book, not by attribution, but many of the same concepts, especially this idea that Paleolithic humans a million to two million years ago were successful at catching a wild animal every day. It just wasn't happening. So, you know, the women left back at home while the elusive guys were out trying to catch an elusive animal were doing the foraging at home, eating nuts, seeds, and berries. So there you go. So, so what is a vegan, a paleo vegan diet? I mean, because I, I know a lot of people stay away from vegan because they think it's too high in carbs and it either scares them or it just doesn't quite feel right in their body. So what's this other approach? Well, basically I wrote the book to give vegans the option if they wanted to do a paleo diet, they could do it. And so on one of the pages in the book, I have a list of foods that uh, are common to both a paleo diet and a vegan diet. And of course, they're 100% vegan. You know, there's no uh, animal-based foods in my book at all. So basically, it's nuts, seeds, greens. And, uh, you know, here's the other thing to keep in mind. I read a ton of the meat-based paleo books, especially the bestsellers, and they all had the concept of a 15 to 20% cheat. And they understood that a high-protein diet was not sustainable long-term so that they would have to have this concept of the cheat. And when I would ask paleo followers, well, what are you doing for the cheat? They would say, well, ice cream and alcohol. So I think for vegans, if you want to eat beans and grains 20% of the time, that's a lot better choice. Aha, that's so interesting. Because I know that when we listen to most of our vegan nutritional experts, whole grains get a very big thumbs up. And yet a lot of people just don't seem to do so well with a lot of grain, which is why I think it's very cool that Paleo Vegan exists. And it's a book that I can send to people who say, "Ooh, I just don't want to have all that grain. Right. Well, it's also interesting to note that uh, something like quinoa is a seed or wild rice is a grass, and that is allowed on most of the paleo diets as a result. How interesting. Well, we're down to our last minute and a half. Famous last words from you. Wow. Just uh, remember that there's no money in broccoli. And when you understand that, you have to be your own investigative TV reporter like I used to be and figure out the truth about food. Um, Go plants. You won't regret it. It's the best thing you can do for the environment, your body, and, of course, the animals. 
Absolutely. And Ellen Jaffe Jones, my gosh, it's no wonder you have like a thousand zillion fans because you're so inspiring and you're so human and you're so understanding. You know, you're not, you're not like my gym teachers in high school. I didn't <laughs> understand why I couldn't make it around the track. I know you would get me around the track if we lived closer. So everybody, <laughs> you can find Ellen Jaffe Jones at vegcoach.com. She is on Twitter and Instagram, Ellen Jaffe Jones, J-A-F-F-E. And I'll just put all that stuff right up on the Main Street Vegan show notes so that you can check out this amazing woman, all her books, and especially this brand new one, Vegan Fitness for Mortals. I didn't say in the introduction that that book hit number one in hot new vegan diet releases on Amazon a month before it was even published. We wanted this book so much we were willing to have delayed gratification. That's not even American. And yet, there you go. Ellen, bless your heart. Thanks so much. Thanks to Jeff, our engineer at Unity Online Radio, and to everybody at Unity Online Radio for making this program happen every single week. And next week, we are going to have anybody old enough to remember Ed Sullivan and the phrase, really big show? Well, it's going to be really big because we're going to have three guests instead of we usually have two. So we're going to start with Irene Rizzo, who's a wonderful, wonderful Pilates expert with a brand new glorious book called The Mountain of Youth. Then we are going to move on to John Pierre. You know John Pierre, the great trainer, worked with a lot of movie stars and folks like that. Then he said, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going to move to Colorado and start a farmed animal sanctuary. And he's going to be talking about self-defense and his book, Strong, Savvy, Safe. And we're going to have Chef Mark Reinfeld with Healing the Vegan Way, Plant-Based Eating for Optimum Health and Wellness. So, Please join us next week or at your podcast leisure. And in the meantime, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. There is Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. With all the paths open to us, it's easy to feel lost sometimes. Although the darkness of doubt and confusion may make the best choices difficult to see, there is within each of us a light that helps to illumine our way. When I stop and let inner peace be my guide, 
I am surely led to good, no matter what the circumstance. The peace I feel within myself paves any path I'm on, making even the roughest roads more manageable. I've heard that it's not so much the destination that matters as the journey itself. So in the midst of deciding which way to go in life, I go within. Wherever I turn, the signs all point to peace. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.